So now I'm kind of like, you know, who I, I, I want anybody to beat the Patriots at this point. Anyways, but, um, but yeah. But it, nonetheless, is anybody who, who is like, I probably won't watch it at all. I don't care. I love it. It's like the, this whole place. Well, what we do is um, uh, we do the commercials. So we do, uh, you can get on like Pinterest, and I printed off um, commercial bingo. And so, yeah, we're not allowed to play that in our house. Um, but we're, we're going to do commercial bingo. So basically, whoever whoever wins. Yeah, well, we don't we haven't discussed what we're going to win I'll yet. I'll give you some things from my room. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you this and that. But anyways, it's a, it's today's going to be fun, I'm sure. So I can't remember how many millions of people watched the Super Bowl, but I thought, isn't that a cra- crazy? I mean, yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. I watched a video about the NFL gospel choir. There is literally uh, a gospel choir of all current and past NFL players. And I I watched a little video of them singing last night, and I thought, they got got it going on. It was pretty good. Were you going to say something? Yes. I talked to someone whose sister is not poor. She's not a millionaire, but they're not poor. <laughs> she bought four tickets to go at thirty-five hundred bucks a seat, and then they got who's this other person? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you want to be a cousin or something. But anyway, I mean, can you imagine? Oh no. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to buy me a five-dollar thing of pickles. I'm like, I have Johnny Eagle has these pickles that I'm not. You're ready to go to the Super Bowl of Heaven, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is hilarious. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh. Hey, when they're good. Let the woman have her pickles. Let the woman have her pickles. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know what to get you for Christmas. So. <laughs> we'll just get you that. Well, that's awesome. Well, if you will, um, I'm going to pray before you open, but first let's turn to our Bibles to John 15. Today we're going to talk about the true vine abiding in the vine. John 15. <laughs> Help you out, huh? If I sang it. Yeah, you always say we always had songs for verses. I love it. We should do it as adults. It's even better. All right, let's. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and pray, and then and then we'll get started in today's message. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that you are the living word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that not only would you anoint this message, God, speak through me today, and I pray that you would touch all of our hearts, that I, just like them, want to leave changed today by your presence, by your personhood, by hearing your words from your heart. And Holy Spirit, we invite you today. We thank you that when Jesus is glorified, the Holy Spirit always comes and rests. And so, Jesus, we lift you high today, and we ask that you would... Speak to our hearts, and let today be a super day for us. Let it be super in the way that you transform us 
and the way that we are um, transformed by your word and by your presence, Lord God, that is tangible in, in our lives. Lord, bless all who hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, so I, I saw the story, and I thought it was very interesting. So many years before Abraham Lincoln was elected president, he was actually a storekeeper in Salem, um, Illinois. Did anybody know that he was a storekeeper? Yeah. I, 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 ne- I had never heard that. Um, <laughs> you'll have to look it up. Um, Abe had a rifle displayed in his store that was one of the most beautiful rifles ever made. Um, the barrel was made from the finest steel, the stock from the best walnut wood, and a world-famous gunsmith had assembled the gun. The price was extremely reasonable, but displayed next to this attra- attractive gun was a rack of ordinary Kentucky squirrel rifles. Um, the, these long barrel rifles were made from ordinary gun steel and plain wooden stocks, yet the price was higher. A customer entered the store looking for a new rifle. He was impressed by a fine-looking gun, but was confused as to why it was priced so much lower than the less attractive rifles. Abe explained that the good-looking rifle was just for show, um, while the others were for shooting. The pioneer bought of course, the Kentucky squirrel rifle, because that's what he needed it for. A little while later, a rich farmer was decorate, that rich farmer was decorating a room in his country mansion, and he wanted to place a gun over the fireplace mantle with his game, big game trophies. Abe's fancy gun was exactly what he needed. The fact that it did not shoot was irrelevant. The purpose of the gun had changed. He wanted to display something that seemed powerful, but in the end was useless for any purpose. Why I wanted to share that is because God has created us all for purpose. And that in life, there's a lot of things that look amazing, but in the end, they're just as useless than than the decoration of what he it was used for. And we were not made to be decorations in the church with no purpose. You know, each one of us isn't here just because, you know, we always, you know, growing up, you always put on your Sunday best. But there, some of the people who put on the Sunday best were the meanest people in the whole church. And it showed that you didn't have to necessarily be decorated up to show that you were holy. Holiness is something that comes on the inside. And in the end, you know, if that man had to use that gun for any reason, if his life was in danger, it would be useless other than for decoration. And we have so much more purpose in us. And so just kind of like when um, this, the prophet went to find a king and every single one that the prophet saw, God said, it's not them. Because the prophet was looking at the outside appearance, but the Lord says, I look at the heart. And so for all of us, we all have purpose and intentionality that God has designed us for. And one of it is to abide in him, that we were made to abide in God. And we're going to talk about what that really means. Um, but I want us to Kind of now that you're open to John 15, I want us to kind of go through the story together because we tend to like read chapter, you know, the Bible by chapters, but a lot of times we don't know where it's at necessarily in the story. We think, you know, God is maybe just talking to a random group of people. If we don't know sometimes the context, it's hard to know what's really happening. It's amazing to know that half. Pretty much half of John leading to the end is based on the Last Supper. From John 13 to the point of his resurrection, uh, to the point of his death, I believe it's in chapter 19 or 20. This is all a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples at the Last Supper. Many people don't know that. You know, you just think that they just sat down, maybe broke the bread. You know, Jesus says, you know, one of you will betray me. You know, Judas runs out. And, um, and that's the story. But in fact, Jesus was very intentional from the point of, of course, washing his disciples' feet. But just like any person, if you are about to die, wouldn't you? I, I, it is really even shown in our own human life that the last conversations you have are very important with people. You know, um, I think at times we can tend to be loose with our words because there's no, it, like there's no end in our sight, you know? Um, but when you know that the end is near, most times you're very intentional with the words that you speak, especially to the people that you love and, and you want to convey something that's important to your heart. So I want you to know that these words 
were very important because Jesus was talking to his disciples some of the last times before he would go to the cross. And so he was not just trying to encourage them, but he was trying to tell them the, that the way that he wanted them to live when he wasn't with them in the physical. Of course, he would be with them in the spirit um, all the rest of the days. But he wanted to convey something. He says, when you're not with, when you don't see me face to face, when we are not together flesh to flesh like this right now, I want you to know this. And so we're, I just want you to imagine right now that you're one of the disciples because if you do follow Jesus, then you are a disciple. And that Jesus would say this much to you just today as he would to those disciples right then. And so we're going to, um, if you want, you can kind of read along, but we're going we're gonna to do this video so, so you can put yourself in the place of a disciple. Imagine yourself as a disciple. Jesus, this is the Last Supper, and um, Jesus is now on his way going towards the garden and, um, and what's, what's about to take place as well. Let's say it might need turned up for a minute. Let's we'll do that. If you don't mind turning it up, Mark. For some reason, I can't turn. Um... Okay, thank you. Thank you for Mark, our man, our media manager. Yeah, we'll we'll replay it. Since I don't have a toolbar, I can't turn my volume up on here anyway. So I'm kind I'm kind of lost. I'm kind of. All right, let's see. He breaks off every branch of me that does not bear fruit, and he prunes every branch that does bear fruit, so that it will be clean and bear more fruit. You have been made clean already by the teaching I have given you. Remain united to me, and I will remain united to you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Can do so only if it remains in the life. The same way he can let you remain in me. I am the life. And you have brought Jesus. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. But you can do nothing without me. Those who do not remain in me are thrown like a branch of the ground. Such branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire. They are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Then you will ask for anything you wish. You shall ask. My Father's glory is shown by your bearing much fruit. And in this way you become my disciples. I love you, just as the Father loves me. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, love one another, just as I love you. The greatest love you can have for your friends is to give your life to them, and you are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because servants do not know their master's doing. Instead, I call you friends, because I have told you everything. You do not choose me. I chose you. And I wanted you to go there much fruit. The kind of fruit that yours. And so, the Father will give you whatever you ask of him by me. This then is what I command you. Love God. If the world hates you, just remember that it has hated me first. If you belong to the world, then the world would love you as well. But I chose you from this world, and you do not belong to it. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you slaves are not greater than their masters. If people persecuted me, they will persecute you too. If they obey my teaching, they yours too. 
and we'll do all this to you because you are mine. But they did not try to understand me. They would not have been guilty of sin if I had not come and spoken to them. But it is, they no longer have any excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. They would not have been guilty of sin if I had not been among them. As it is, they have seen what I did. And they hate both me and my father. This, however, was bound to happen, so that what is written in their law may come true. They hated me for no reason at all. But how will it come? The Spirit who reveals the truth about God and comes from the Father. I will send him to you from the Father, and he will speak about me, and you too will speak. All right, so that's John 15, and um, we're going to look at a little bit of it today together. So John 15, 1 through 3, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So we're going to look at the the opening verse, at least for now. There's so much to impact in this whole conversation because this whole conversation, like I said, is vital to their life. It's also vital because of the persecution that is to come. And basically Jesus is saying to remain in him, to abide in him. So first, what does it really mean to abide? Um, it's, it's a word, you know, that is often um, heard out there, but it's like, well, how do I abide in God? Abiding in God is kind of like making God our home and, and that we live and get our source from every day. Imagine him being like the kitchen, your daily bread that you get your nourishment from, your food from, but also that he's the person that you live with that he lives in you and that you converse with every single day. That's the best way I can describe abiding is living out of that house every day for everything that you need, from the kitchen to the relationship, from the bread that you need to to exist um, and that gets you going, but also the relationship that you need. A lot of people want to do the works part, but people don't know that it's, it's you cannot have it without the relationship part. And you'll find that a lot. You know, there's a lot of self-help books out there that are really great. But without a relationship with the maker, there's no way to actually get the true results. And so that's why the important thing that we gain, proper understanding, is that Jesus is the true vine. Because there's actually a lot of false vines out there. I don't know a lot about, I, I watched some videos last night, I thought, what is the branch? What is the vine? You know, how does this all work together? And I will just tell you, I didn't really learn a lot, but the only thing I learned is that the vine can exist without the branch, but the branch can't exist without the vine. And so for us is that Jesus can continue on and grow, but we are vi- but us as the branch that is wrapped around that vine, we only get life connected to that vine. And, um, and we were made, we were made to be connected to the vine. Um, they're man-made substitutes for God. They might seem to bring pleasure or a form of life, but they're short-lasting and counterfeits of the source of life. Many today are even, even in the world of winemaking, people are trying to make um, hybrid, you know, hybrid grapes, man-made substitutes for the process of what it takes to make real wine. And even though it's been showing that it might taste like wine, what actually the ingredients are and what goes into it is actually more harmful for the body to digest than the natural process of wine. But I thought we live in a world that is just like that man-made substitute that says it tastes the same, but in the end, it actually does more damage to our bodies than it does if we would have been in the process of the wine making. And when God is doing something with us in the process of, there's a lot of language in the Bible with wine, Jesus turning water into wine, the process of, of God forming us into the wine, you know, that he has designed for us to be just like him and in him. Um, but there's this language as well of the true vine and the father being the gardener. And that there's a process that, that takes place as we abide in the vine that doesn't happen overnight. 
There is a process of God restoring us that takes time or transforming us that takes time and that there is no man-made substitute that can come against that. Now, many people, they try to find it in the philosophies of the world or the different religions of the world because they would rather have that than be connected to the true vine. But at the end, it, it never satisfies the heart. And in fact, it lays up more burdens for people and destroys more lives at the end than it does and it helps people. For the cost of following another religion, there's so many works that have to be done. But for us, we have the free gift of God that we just come to him and receive for what Christ has done for us. You know, there's nothing that you can do today that can make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do today that can make him love you less. And that is the truest gift of grace that God has given to us is that we are loved unfailingly, that we are loved undeniably, and that though he doesn't want to, he does not tolerate sin and that he does not want to tolerate with the sin in our life. And that closes the door for us to abide. But he wants, he has eradicated sin through his blood that as soon as we ask for forgiveness, that is just as erased as if we had never done it. There is no other religion in the world that will do it. But because it does cost our lives, just like he said, that if you want to be a part of the vine, know that you're not a part of this world. That you have left the, the, the housing of the world and entered the housing of God. And really, and he even said it, they hate me. And the reason they hate me at times is without any reason. But they don't just hate me. They hate the Father. And if they hate me, they're going to hate you. And many don't want to go through the process of being separated and called out from the world and living differently so that they would rather have a man-made substitute that people can accept in the world so that it doesn't offend anybody else. Or make it feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so different. But we are different. We're not just made. He didn't come to just be made in our image. We were made in his image. We were made to look like him in our own flesh. And in that, we have to be transformed in our spirit to look like him as well. And that's where we get changed, is being a part of the true vine. People go, you know, how do I get this changed in my life. You know, whatever it might be from an attitude to a stronghold, it's by abiding in the vine. There is no other formula to change than abiding in God. And that is where we get true change. It isn't, you know, standing on your foot one time, you know, and fasting for four hours. Even though those things do change, fasting only sets our heart if we look at him. Other than that, it's just a good diet. It's just a good diet. So this tells us that Jesus is the only way. If he is a true vine today, he is the only way. And that's the only way to abide in him is to live in him. Um, I've talked about that. Um, as Christians, um, just like even the garden, the enemy comes to discourage us to try to convince us there's another way to find life. You know, in the same way, the enemy says to us today, did God really say? If you really go to Genesis 1 and look at the question, questions that Satan asked Eve to get her to be tempted and to leave the way that God wanted to do, it's the same questions that the enemy says to us today. Did God really say that? Does God really believe that? Don't you think that there's another way that he's hiding from you? Well, if there was another way, he would have shown it. But in the same way, God has provided the way of life for us. And that's why the knowledge of good and evil, when she ate of it, it actually created shame for them and not liberty. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's not bondage or shame. So the opening of words shows us that he is a true vine and we are the branch and the father is the vine dresser. Now, I have tried to prune a plant before, and I can tell you when you don't know what you're doing, you really show it. <laughs> I have butchered more bushes in my life and more plants in my life than I would care to say. And as much as you think, I mean, in my head, I always think about those topiaries that look beautiful, and I'm like, oh. I'm going to get this in that perfect square. And by the time, it's usually lopsided or, you know, I mean, it, it has no form. In fact, it's usually a what is that rather than how beautiful is that. And, um, and so, but Jesus, the, this says that the father is a vine, dra vine dresser. That means that he knows exactly where to cut, when to cut it, the perfect timing to cut it that will actually bring forth fruit. And the enemy has deceived us that he will prune us to the point that we will no longer have life, joy, or anything. The enemy has lied that God's discipline is actually against us 
than for us. But any time that God prunes us, he knows exactly where to prune us so that we actually bear more fruit. But it's amazing that there is a process to being pruned. Just like it takes five to seven years for grapes to ripen to the point of being used for wine. And at times that we think, well, is God really going to use me? Or, or does God have a purpose for me in the midst of this pruning? And sometimes the results don't come as quickly as we think. But he knows when to prune us and how to prune us at the right moment and to go, you know what, that little thing in us. Because he knows if he did it all too much at once, it would destroy us. Because if you over prune the grapes, then it will actually be worthless and every single thing attached to us will die as well. So you have to know what to prune at the right time so it actually bears fruit and not destroys the crop. Isn't that amazing that we have a father who is a vine dresser who knows what to prune in our lives at the one time that is bigger than all of that? Because there's things in our lives, and I, I'm, I'm just speaking for myself, that I wish that God would take a thousand things out of me, that I go, I wish that would change about me, or poor decisions I've made, and I went, man, I wish I went to keep making this wrong choice, this poor decision in my life, that it has, you know, affected my either relationship with God or my walk with other people. And, um, and it has been a destructive thing for me. But it's amazing how God doesn't always ask for the whole at once. He wants our whole heart. But he's going to ask little things from us at a time to turn the whole ship. So, so even when he prunes us, at times we're going, well, take the whole thing. And he goes, if I took the whole thing, it would destroy you. But if you give me this day by day by day. And when we remain in the vine, we connect to the true source of life that transfers me making that decision to just choosing him. And that's what it is. It comes down every day of not just choosing the right thing. It's actually just choosing him day by day. It's actually just going, I can't do it. And I think that we often try to separate from the vine because we think it, w it seems foolish for me to feel like I have to keep going to you for strength because if I keep going to you for strength, then I'm not sufficient on my own. And, um, but there is no way to do it other than being connected to the vine. And we have to attach ourselves to the vine because branches and vines were called to interact and they give life to one another. They give source to one another. And so he wants to be our source. He wants to be our strength because we can't do it on our own. And it's okay that we admit our weakness, that we cannot make it without him, that we can't do it in our own strength, that we can't make the choices on our own, that that is a God-given gift that we say help. That is a God-given prayer that God has given to us. Help, I can't do it. Help, I can't make it. Help, I can't change myself. Help, I can't turn this situation around. Help, I need you. That is the greatest prayer that we have and being a part of the vine. This is why life and love will always have a connection. We will find life connected to the things that we love. However, when Jesus is not first place in the being of our first love, the way we try to attain life and love will always be unhealthy. The person who tries to get love from a person or thing without Jesus as their first love will be like two fleas without a dog. I don't know if you've ever heard that analogy, but, but two fleas without a dog, all they do is suck life out of each other. You know? And, then, and, and they try to survive by consuming one another, left wanting more until there's no blood is left. And we know when there's no blood, there's no life. And so many times people try to get out of another person what only they can get out of God. Either the love they need or a relationship or a whole, because we all have a God-shaped hole inside of us. It is a, it's a wonderful gift that God has given to humanity that we are made for something so much more. We were made for extravagant love. We were made for extravagant devotion. We were made for unfailing love and no compromise. We were made, I mean, I know, guys, this might feel weird that Jesus is like a shining knight that comes after you because I know that's a weird thing, right? But, but God is a God who goes, whatever is hindering love, I will battle it. I will fight it to come after your heart. We were made for that. And yet we have turned our movies into putting that in a person that is so weak and broken. And then we hold them to a standard that when they fail, we punish them for it. But that was something that God created out of us to know that 
God is failing. You know what's amazing about a true love story? It's two weak people who say yes to each other, who say, you know what? I'm weak, but I choose to love you. I'm weak, but I choose to be devoted. I'm weak, but I choose to rest that I will love you. You know, that's the truest thing of love. And that's our love story is that though I'm weak, God, I say yes to you. Though I am weak, I say I will be devoted, even though I can't compare to your love. I can't, I don't know how to love you the same way, but I will try. I will try. And you know what? That weak yes in our heart is all that God wants. And I think that we, we think, you know, what's extravagant? He's the one who's extravagant. We're not extravagant. All he wants is a yes from our hearts. And that's it. I mean, how amazing. It's really so simple, but we make it so complicated. And so when you find something that you're connected to, you're going to find life from it, but you're also going to find, you're going to find love. And so a question I asked myself, um, this is a personal question. Why is it so hard to abide in God? You know, why do we have such a hard time abiding in God? Um, and, and so a few things came to my mind, and it might be just things that I wrestle with. And it's like an onion to ask our, ourselves the question, like, you know, why is it hard to abide? Your, your response is going to be probably a little bit different because we're all humans and we all have different layers to us and to reasons in our life why we feel like we can abide or not abide. Um, but I, I, there's some that I think are kind of universal overall. We often don't feel that God really loves us or knows us. And I, I think that is sometimes more common than not, that more people feel like, man, I don't know if God really loves me. I don't even know if God really knows about me. Like, out of all the people in the world, why would God care about me? Why would God think about me? Well, if it says that I'm always on his mind, why would I be the thought on his mind? Why would he love me personally? And I believe that this is the biggest deception of the enemy. And I have fallen for it myself. I mean, I'm, I'm being really honest. Um, because Romans 8 tells us that, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the things present, nor in the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from, um, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jeremiah 31 3 says the Lord appeared to us in the past saying I have loved you with an everlasting love I have drawn you with unfailing kindness in fact to abide in God is to be abiding in his unfailing love first John four sixteen says for we have come to know and to believe that that the love of God has well let me say that again sorry so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us God is love it is who he is. He can't separate himself from it. I am Tiffany Johnson. God is love. I, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, I always put God in the place of love. God is patient. God is kind. I mean, you can do that because he is love. He is the definition of that. If you want to know what God is like, read, read that and put God in its place because God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So that's why love and abiding is always going to be connected. Because you, who wants to stay in a home that's abusive? You're not going to live in a home that is damaging for you. In fact, you'll run away from it, right? And so when we know that he loves us, that's when we really know that we can abide. Because you're going to live in a house that you're loved, for sure. And we are loved. Um, if this is true, then we are loved without comparison. It is unfailing. The term unfailing alone should just blow us away. I am sure my love has absolutely failed someone. My favorite expression concerning his love comes from Psalms. It says his love endures forever. The phrase is connected to all he has brought Israel through. Not only did he bring them through, his love was with them all the way. That's why I love it says he delivered them. His love endures forever. You know, they walk through the waters. His love endures forever. Because the action of him bringing them through was the act of his love. The fact that he endures. And I thought, you know, I don't know if you've ever endured somebody, you know, endured being around somebody. Um, and, you know, that. so that's, I guess, what I think of the word endurance is the things I've had to endure. But, but the thing is that it really made me think about is every single time I felt like I was at my lowest 
the pit of my life, the farthest I felt from God, his love endured with me. And the fact that I'm here today is because his love has endured all the way through. And the same is true with you is that his love endures forever. Um, so why is it hard to abide if this is true? Well, unpacking another layer, um, I believe some of it is that we believe, well, let me say it this way. We don't believe that he loves us because of shame and unworthiness. And I believe that that's a part of going, okay, if, if, if we ask, like, so why doesn't God love you? So a lot of times it's connected to an act of shame or a part of shame or just feeling completely unworthy of it. For shame and unworthiness is the core of unbelief. How can Jesus love me because of X, Y, Z? I messed up so many times. How can he still love me? Shame is what caused Adam and Eve to hide from God in the garden. It will cause our hearts to hide from God and look for another way to form life. Psalm 34, 5 says, Those who look to him, though, are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. Just like in the garden, when, they, when he goes, Adam, where are you? The part was, is that God was knew, had already knew the shame that they had committed, the sin they had committed, but yet he wanted to see Adam's face. Because as soon as Adam had that connection, he knew that he would take that shame away and redeem it. And so when he says, where are you, Adam? He already knew where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to appear to him. Because he had to come to the place of coming out of his shame to come before God. And there's so many times that shame puts that thing where it goes, I can't come before him because I'm so ashamed of what I've done. I'm so ashamed of who I am or what has happened. And shame will keep us from him every single time. But the truth is you'll never be worthy. And he doesn't love you because you are worthy, but because he's worthy. And because he died for our sins. Romans 5, 8 says this, and this is one of my core things when we go, man, can God really love me? You know, am I good enough, righteous enough, blah, blah, blah. It's not about that because it says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, we were on his mind for redemption. And that's where we can know. And if you fell, get back up. That's the best part is that falling is actually just a marker to keep moving forward in God. It's that we learn and we grow and that he takes us just like a father and goes, well, that really sucked this time, didn't it? You know, maybe, maybe you'll learn from this one, you know? And sometimes you go, you do a go, you think you're good and you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to try jumping off that roof again. You know, I mean, I hurt my ankle, but you know, I mean, I have, I'm a little bit more in control now and I can do this. And then the next time you break both of your legs. I mean, and then, I mean, it's, we do that sometimes. I mean, it, it is a part of our human condition, but I love it. It says the godly man may trip seven times in Proverbs 24, 16, but they will get up again. But for the wicked, it says, but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. You know how, you know, and it's amazing that God goes, get back up, get back up. You'll never read in the Bible where God says, stay down. <laughs> unless it's, unless it's someone who is truly wicked in their heart. And then, and then you see God raise up his wrath against them and woe to them. But for the righteous, he always says, get back up. You know, even Paul said, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? His, his encouragement is not that you're out of the race, get back in it. It isn't that you are so far off the race that you're now in another race and you can't get back. He says it might take a mile to get back on the road, but take the mile. That the race is still calling out your name for you to run it. That's the same for every single human being in God is that there's there. It doesn't matter how far off we get off the track. You know, and I think sometimes grace makes us go, and I'll, I'll say this, I love grace, I love grace, but we have forgotten the fear of the Lord, that there is no trembling that he is holy anymore. I mean, you don't hear about his holiness, because his, the fear of the Lord actually does keep us on the race, because we know the cost of leaving it. And grace sometimes can be so sloppy in the fact that it says, well, I can always come back. But guess what? It says in this word that if you go off too far, it doesn't just, he, he, that's why you hear the cry, come back. Because he goes, it's death over there. It's not just you're just running a different race. He says you are in fear of the fire 
That the fire is over there and you're running closer and closer to your own destruction. And that there is a cry to come back to the race, but it goes, woe to you if you keep running. And that is a lost thing in the church these days that you don't hear the fear of the Lord. That there is nothing that makes us tremble anymore. This world doesn't tremble before God. It's okay making fun of God, not knowing that he could destroy the world just like he did in a moment. And yes, he is loving, but he is the judge. And we will all stand before a judge. And I know that seems like a derailment of going, you're saying he loves me. But yet there is this because we need to tremble again. We need to tremble before the throne and go, thank you for loving me because you're so holy. Because you're so righteous that you don't have to have me, but you want me. That should make us tremble. But we don't tremble anymore. And that's why people live such loose lives thinking, well, maybe I can just come back. Well, yeah, we can. But there's, there is a point that sometimes the farther we keep running off the race, the more our ears get hardened and our heart gets hardened. And we run and you see people running towards the fire as if it's the happiest place, as if it's Disney World. You know, they're going, it's the happiest place on earth to be far from God. It's the happiest place from earth to do what I want to do. And they're not knowing that they are truly in the flames, the flames of destruction of their life. And I think another reason that people do not abide in God is because they're disappointed. You know, I know, I don't think any person, if you wrote, you know, when you're like in like kindergarten and they always do, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and I always crack up because, you know, um, and I totally get it, but I love the back to school where people write on the board like, my name is Timmy, and I'm in first grade. And then it's like, and then it's like, when I'm a, when I'm grown up, I want to be a fireman, or you know, like I want to be this. And I always want to go. You might be disappointed. You might be disappointed <laughs> because most people don't turn out what they thought they would be. You know, my mom didn't turn out to be a princess, and it's really disappointing to her. <laughs> and she's trying to catch it up. You know, it's been devastating. You know. <laughs> And so for, so for most people, they don't become the doctor. For most people, they don't become the police officer. You know, for most people, they grow up because we do tell people you can be anything you want to be. And I, there is a truth to that. There really is. But there's also a thing that we, there is a positioning for every child to have that moment where it goes, reality isn't what I thought it would be. And, and then you become an adult and that become, that can turn into bitterness and it turns into pain, and now you're left with this bitterness and pain, and we create a theology around it, that my disappointment shows me that there's a God that's disconnected, because obviously my life didn't turn out the way I thought it would be, or, you know, I prayed, you know, for us, you know, I mean, if, to be honest, I, I prayed for my dad to come back from the dead, I mean, I, I, if I had any more faith, I would be shocked, I mean, I, and in fact, I, 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 I believed it so much that I dreamed for really and probably until the last couple of years that my dad was alive because I had prayed for it. And for the first year, I prayed that he was like trying to get out of his grave, you know, because I really believed that my, I believed that God could bring somebody back to life. And let me tell you, when you wrestle, especially with, when you come with loss and praying and believing someone not just to be whole, but you lose somebody that you love, that is some of the biggest disappointment to really wrestle your theology with. And, and the thing is, is that I hold on to the fact that just like with Martha and Mary, that he is the resurrection. And he says, though yet I live, so shall you live. And, you know, eternity, I mean, I mean, it sucks for us on this, this side. But let me tell you, eternity is a lot longer than what we face on this side. And the fact that we have eternity, I'm thankful. You know, the fact that my dad has eternity to be whole, I'm thankful. You know, as much as I wanted him on this side of my life. But I think disappointment often does that. You know, and it can ruin us, and it's an area that's hard for us to navigate through. But what I love about the Lord is that he already knows we're disappointed, and he does want to talk to us about it. So if you're disappointed, if life hasn't turned out the way that you thought, if a dream of yours hasn't happened or come to pass, you know, I mean, I, I know that this is kind of like a fluffy statement, but for some things in our life, it's never too late to keep dreaming. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter. My grandpa at 92 dreamed. You know, he had dreams of his life, and he still believed that they could come to pass, and some did. I mean, he was in his 80s when he got his doctorate. Am I correct? Uh, when he 
Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, even things that were in his heart, you know, there's things that can always happen. But even in that, God wants to talk to us about the disappointment. He know, already knows. And believe me, a lot of times we're like, God, take this out of my life. And a lot of times he goes, well, let's talk about that disappointment that you had and that you've been harboring for a long time first. Because a lot of times the things that we act out on, you know, is not connected. We often like point at the fruit and go, oh, that's the thing that needs to be removed. Well, if you don't take care of the seed, then you're never going to get rid of that fruit in your life. And we often do that. If I could only stop this, or if I could only quit doing that, then things would be changed. Well, let's talk about the disappointment and the pain in your life first, because that's what the Lord does. When we talk to and abide to him, he goes, you want set free? Let's talk about the pain in your heart. Because when we talk about the pain in your heart, all these other things will change. And the Lord knows that. And I think that that's why it's hard to abide. But I love Matthew 11 because he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I love that. This, is, this has been a help for me, Isaiah 61, because if you're brokenhearted, it says the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is what Jesus says even in the temple. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. And um, Psalm 51, 1 through 17, I love this. And it's, I'm not reading the whole thing. But this is David saying this to God because sometimes your sacrifice to God, the biggest thing you can give him is your broken and contrite heart. And he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. He will always respond to our hearts, no matter how deep the pain or the questions. Um, And I'll I'll go into the last process real quick um, before we close. But um, but even in this is I will say this for particularly for guys, since there's three of you in this room. I think that there is a lot that men have to carry that they're not really necessarily always allowed to process what they've gone through or their emotions because there's this, this pressure of be a man, you know, don't let it affect you. You know, that shouldn't bother you. But you know what? If Jesus, a man is saying this, then he knows that it's okay for men to process that. He knows it's okay for men to let go of the emotions and go, you know what? That did suck. And that did hurt. And it's okay that it hurt. And it's okay that you didn't deal with that well. Or it's okay that that affected you the way that it did. I think for women, we're more easily attuned to going and being more honest because we're like, that sucks, you know? And you suck. I mean, there's memes about it, you know? I mean, I'm going to name a cockroach after my ex-boyfriend. I mean, who does that? I mean, I saw that on the news. I thought women do that, you know? I mean, because if a man did it, they'd be like, man, dude, what's wrong with you? But if a woman does that, they're like, oh, that makes sense. I see, I can see her just like, you know, James, Matthew. I mean, it's almost like when there's a breakup, you know, it's almost like it's, it's okay for women to go on this whole big thing. But when a man does it, there's like this alarm, like, whoa, dude, you can't do the same thing. You can't go through the same process, you know, get over it. And let me tell you, if God, the father who is a man is saying, you know what, that's not true. Then it's okay for us to go. That hurt me. At five year old, that hurt me. Those words hurt me. That subject hurt me. This was pain in my life. And that's the good thing about God is that God knows it. And when we abide in him, that he takes care of those things. That he is the safe place to go. You know what to do as a man? Come, bear your load onto me. Let me listen to your heart and let me heal it. And that's a huge thing. And I mean, us as women need it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I just think there's such a lie that the enemy has put on men as if they can't be emotional or can't be raw and be raw, be emotional because God made you that way. And if he's emotional as a man, that's a God who sits in heaven, then we know that that is a lie from the enemy because he has a lot of emotions that he feels and he expresses them and he's extravagant in love as a man. And that's huge. And in many of us, we've needed an extravagant father to show us that we were loved. And some of us never had that. And, and that is the heart of the father to go, I'm proud of you. To hear those words, I'm proud of you. I messed up. I don't care. I'm proud of you. You know, I, I failed. I don't care. I'm proud of you. Why? Because you're mine. That's it. What other reason do I need? You're mine. And that's what God does. 
the last reason I, I really do believe is that people don't like the process. Um, and they don't like to, because it, it involves us dying to ourselves. You know, when we abide in him, parts of us die. And some of us, we love ourselves a little bit too much for us to die. But it's the only way because those who follow after him must pick up the cross and follow after him. There is no other way. There is no other way than picking up the cross. There is no way of saying, I die to myself to follow after you all the way. So often people look for a God who looks like their image. God might have come in our image to live and die for us, but we were made in his image. So we have to not just be conformed to look like him in the way that we look, but to be conformed like him on the inside of our hearts. The world hates his commandments, and, and the scripture tells us if we abide in him, the world will hate us too. Many want to believe that believe in Jesus, but they don't want to do what he says. He says that they are branches apart from the vine, not only, um, not just bear, they don't bear fruit, but they wither and die. Maybe not in the natural right away, but in their spirit, they'll be cut off from him forever, thrown into the fire if they don't return to the vine. Another reason people do not know how to abide, to abide, this is truly the last one, is that they don't know how. And I think that that's more people than, than not. They go, well, this sounds good, but how do I really live in God? How do I abide in him? Um, how does Jesus take home? Like, how do I live in that home? And so it's really ultimately through a personal relationship. I know we talk about this and, you know, but it really is that simple. It's really just a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And a personal relationship with Jesus Christ looks like just like what, what you do when you talk to your friends. You talk to them, you call them, but even more so, I would say it's what you do with a spouse. You depend on them, you're, you give them their, your whole heart, and you're wholly connected to them, no matter what you go through in the day-to-day. And let's be honest, if you had no communication with that person day after day, there is no relationship with any person. Um, so it looks like, um, because otherwise it's religion, and you don't want religion. Religion will make it heavy. Um, the Holy Spirit helps us to abide and bear fruit. And the fruits of the Spirit, if you go, well, what, what would be the fruit that comes out? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Um, those are the things that do it. But whether you do it in the morning or whether you do it on, at night, spend time in the Word, just reading the Word as, and talking to God as you read the Word. I mean, going, you know, God, I'm going to read through John 15 today. Like, let me hear what you would want to say to me through your Word. You know, um, I'm going to read. I usually do a proverb and a psalm and try to read a gospel or whatever. Um, but, you know, you, you, you talk to God while you're reading the word. You know, don't just read the word and go, okay, that's because it's not a daily duty. If you're just doing it to check off a checklist, then it's going to be religion to you and you're not going to enjoy it. But when you, when you spend time in the word and you go, okay, help me to hear what you would have to say to me today through your scriptures, he, will, he really wants to talk to you. And he talks to us through the word. If you want to go, well, how, what does his voice sound like? Read the word and then you'll hear his voice. I mean, it really is that simple. Um, and he, will, he never hides his voice. He really will never hide his voice. And spend time in prayer. I mean, you read the word and then just talk to him. Just talk to him like you would talk to one of your closest friends. You know, I do that all the time. God, this is hard. I don't know what to do about this. God, help this person. Be with them today, you know. Encourage them, you know. Um, I care about this because he already knows what you're feeling anyway, so why not unload on him? But when you will find that when you leave that time of prayer, it might be 30 minutes. It might be an hour. Sometimes it's just 15 minutes. But you will find that when you really are intentional in doing it, you'll leave with peace, and you'll know that you connected with God. I mean, you really will. And then throughout the day, what I do is I talk to him. I include him in every decision I make, every conversation. God, who's on your mind today? Like, is there anybody who needs encouragement? You know, um, what are you thinking today? If I go into a decision, God, what do you think about this decision? You know, when I'm driving, God, please protect me because, you know, I'm probably going to cut somebody off and it's going to be really bad. You know, like, I mean, I've done that more than once. And I went, thank you that I prayed, you know, thank you, God. And they like, give me the finger. I go, right, right, rightfully so, sir. <laughs> rightfully so. So, um, so, I mean, but I include him because let me be honest, there's many times I went, that could have been an accident or that should have been, you know, so every single thing, because the lie, the lie that I mean, tells us is that he doesn't want, he doesn't care about the small things. Who, where in the Bible does it say it? It says he counts your hair. You know, he bubbles the tears that you cry. How did you get to the point that he doesn't care that you, you know, you ran out of wheat toast and you like wheat toast? Who, you know, like that is such a lie. That's if God became flesh, 
you know, do you think he became flesh so he could go back in heaven and watch you from a distance and go, you figure it out, you figure it out, you know, like he, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't create you and come in the flesh, leave his heavenly home just so that you could feel totally disengaged, you know? And so, um, so that is how I would encourage you. So in closing, which we really are closing at this point since I'm way over, um, in closing, Truly, God wants you to abide in him. God wants you to live in him. He wants you to love. You're not just a decoration. You know, I um, will end with this. I, I have a friend, one of my old roommates. She's going to go be a missionary in Turkey. And so she called me. I love it. She called me to give me the spiel, even though I thought, you already know I'm going to, you know, give to you, you know. And um, I said, well, wait till I have my job in eight months. And I said, I'll absolutely wholeheartedly, you know, give you something every month. So she calls me to give me this whole spiel about, you know, things I already knew. Because I lived with her. She was like, when I was in Kansas City. And I thought, I know I was in Kansas City with you. But I let her do I let her do her spiel. But she said something. And I said, oh, my gosh. I said, Nikki. I said, that will preach. I said, that is probably one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. And she talked about how she grew up in church. And she said, you know, I always grew up thinking that God could do life without me. Um, that God just wanted obedience. And because of that, I was, I was so frustrated with myself because I thought I couldn't be this perfect person that God wanted. And so I went on this mission trip thinking I'll go. But she said, I honestly was at the point where I thought, I'm just going to leave. I'm doing this to kind of appease my parents. And um, she said, but I just thought, you know, God just wants perfect people. So obviously he can do whatever he wants without me because I'm not there. And she said, that's what I learned is that the law tells you that God can do it without you. She said, but on that trip, it was the first time I really heard that God wanted me in the story. And she said, and Grace told me that it wasn't about what I did. It was because he always wanted me in the story. So he died for me. And I said, you know, Nikki, that is so powerful because I said, the law and religion will always tell us that there's a God who doesn't want us in the story, that he would rather have the story finished with in in his own way and he'll do whatever means it takes to get his end results you know so if he wants holiness he will find his holy people and just do it and whoever happens to be in it or not in it doesn't matter it's about the goal it's about the task but i said but that's not how god works you know grace tells us that he wants us in the story that we were designed for the story in fact the story the end task doesn't work unless we're a part of the story and I said, that is so powerful because I said, now you're living your life in Turkey to live your life for the gospel because you connected that he wants me in the story. And it wasn't based on what you could do or what you didn't do. It was just that you felt like he, you belonged. And we all belong. We all belong. And that's why we're called to abide. And if you don't know you belong, then you won't know that you were made to abide. And so we have to know that we belong in the story and we belong in abiding because there's, it's almost like if you can imagine abiding, there's a house that's waiting and God's sitting in a chair that is just made just, this home is made especially for you. You know, we talk about the mansion in heaven, but there's a home right now that God is literally sitting on a chair waiting for you to come in the door to talk to you. And that door has been closed and he's going, if they just would come in, this is, this is home. You know, and he, and your name is, you know, monogrammed everywhere. It's on the pillows, everything. And God is just waiting for you to walk in the door and go, ha, finally, you're home. Let's talk. Let's do this. And if you feel like you don't have, if you haven't been in that home, why don't you come home today? Why don't you come to that home today and live in him every day? Because he's waiting for you. He wants you to be there. And if not, you're just sitting out in the cold wondering, and I bet you anything, living day by day with feeling with like, why do I even exist? Why am I even here? You know, to make the bread, you know, like to go get money, live life. But let me tell you, there's a, I can guarantee you, there's that Switchfoot song that there has to be something more. And I bet you anything, there, there's always something in the back of your mind going, there has to be more than this. And you won't find it until you come home. You really won't. So let's, let's pray. Today, I always want to give invitations because we to come back home, and I, I have to come home too. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I have to come home. I've, I've left home way too long for myself. And, um, and I always want to give an invitation for us to say, Jesus, I, I want to return home today. 
You know, some maybe you've never really known Jesus and had a personal relationship with him. And you go, you know what, today I want to make that choice to truly ask Jesus to come into my heart, make his home in me. Um, And and we're going to do that. And as well, some of you who are going, you know what, I've been busy. Life has taken me somewhere else and I really want to come home today. Or maybe I've never really known how to abide in him, make him my home. And you want to do that today. And if you do, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you. And this isn't for me, honestly, it's for you. And it's an act of faith to go, Jesus, I'm opening up my heart to you today. And I'm asking you to come home. So if that's you this morning, I just want you to put, as as Jamie plays, I want you just to put your hands out and go, God, come make your home in me. Lord God, I want to come home and I want to live every day with you having your way in my heart that I will purpose every day to spend time with you, that I will purpose every day to talk to you, that I will purpose every day. And some of you, maybe shame has hindered you. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe you have felt unworthiness. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it's gone. He has washed it away by his blood. There's nothing to hinder your heart right now from being any more loved or any more worthy to come to him. And so this morning, I want us just to say this. I want you to say this in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to say, Jesus, I'm coming home. I want you to have your home in my heart. And I want you to have your home in me. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Be the Lord of all that I do. Help me every day to live in you, to abide in you. I ask that you have full reign in me. I want to be your son and I want to be your daughter. Please, Lord, have your way. Help me to hear your voice today. Help me to know your ways. I renounce the ways of darkness in my life, and I ask that you be Lord. Thank you for the cross, and thank you for your life. And thank you that I now have a home in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's turn to our last song.